Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. You can go ahead and thumb there and, and, and just kind of keep your place, and I'll be reading that here in just a few moments. But I kind of want to talk to us about what we've already seen and learned from Ephesians since we've started this uh, at the beginning of the year. In Ephesians chapter 1, the overarching theme in that particular chapter is redemption being found in Christ. Now there was, there was a lot of things that we pulled out of that, that we extracted out of that passage of Scripture uh, that, that kind of fed into this theme of redemption in Christ. Chapter 2, we looked a couple months ago at the theme that we pulled from that is that we are all unified in Christ. So he's talking about unity that the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ brings in chapter 2. And now we're going to enter into chapter 3, and I want to just throw this out at you guys so you can understand that this is not a new preaching technique or device or habit that started with me or started with Scott or started even with Phil or anyone else beforehand or anybody else that you have maybe ever uh, sat under as your pastor. Paul begins this chapter, and we're going to see, as you see on the screen, it says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And then there's that dash right there. If you'll notice, there is no verb statement following that. What Paul was getting ready to do is he said, I'm going to pray for you. Because he's come off this teaching of chapter 1 of saying that, we're redeemed in Christ. There's redemption in the blood of Christ. In chapter 2, he's teaching us about the unity that's found in Christ. And then Paul's like, man, I've, this, this has been so impactful, this teaching. I need to make sure to pray so that they allow that to sink in. But then Paul does the old preacher's technique of, you know, I'm going to close my message. But wait, wait, one more thing. So whenever we kind of add on to our message at the end of it, that's intentional. We're just following Paul's example. It's not that we've forgotten a point in our message. That would never happen. But what Paul does is he tells them what he wants to tell them. Then he reminds them of what he's just told them. Then he's getting ready to pray for them in regards to what he's told them. But then he says, assuming that you have heard. So I'm going to open up the scripture here. And, and if you would to follow along with me. In Ephesians chapter 3, as you know, we've got it on the screen. Um, also, it, uh, if you've got a Bible there with you, you can utilize that. There should be some pew Bibles in front of you. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, so if, if the version that you have may differ a little bit, that's why it's from the ESV. Uh, but chapter 3, starting with verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then the rest of this is going to be a parenthetical. So you could basically put parentheses on this as Paul's just introducing some additional thoughts before he prays. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, 
how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Pray with me this morning, if you would. God, thank you for your wonderful presence that we feel in this house. We thank you for the worship uh, that we all uh, lifted to you this morning, and I pray that that hearts were blessed, uh, but more importantly, that you were glorified during that time of worship. God, as we now go into your word, I ask that the same prayer be prayed, that, uh, that God's hearts would be moved and blessed by this message, but above anything else, that you would be glorified this morning. So, Father, I ask that you open hearts to receive your word, and I ask that you would utilize me. Holy Spirit, use my voice for your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk to you about this mystery that Paul is talking to us about this morning. He's writing in this section about this mystery. Now, it's it's kind of unfortunate that we have to do this, but it's a necessity. Um, I need to get out in front of a few things because there are some theological ideas out there that, that's going around and have been for some time that this word mystery that Paul's using here is about some type of mystical union that goes beyond salvation, that goes beyond our basic relationship with Christ, and that there are all of these different elements and portals and spheres of mystery that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ and that's what Paul is referring to here that's not what it is at all okay understand that's not what it is at all matter of fact verse 6 tells us very plainly what this mystery is so I'm going to read verse 6 again and then we're going to spend the rest of our time together talking about really what that means to us but verse 6 says This mystery is, it's almost like Paul's explaining what the mystery is, right? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now in verse 5, he was talking about how it hadn't been made known to anyone before this time. And we talked about this a couple times in this series, but I'm going to go ahead and do it again since it's been a little bit since we've covered it. But there were two groupings of people that were referred to in the New Testament. Jews and Gentiles. Jews were the people of the Jewish faith, the Jewish belief, the Hebrew and Israelite nation. That's the Jews that's referred to. Gentiles was everyone else. The Gentiles was not a particular ethnicity, it wasn't a particular race, it wasn't a particular color, it wasn't a particular socioeconomic status, it wasn't a a particular demographic. You had Jews, and then you had everyone else. So what Paul is saying is that this is the mystery that Christ has unified. That the mystery is that the Gentiles are now partakers and heirs of the kingdom of God, when they call upon Jesus' name, when they live for Him, when they repent, they're baptized, they follow after Jesus Christ, then they receive 
God's Holy Spirit just the same as what the Jews receive it, that are converted. And we see this phrasing in here of that they weren't, no one knew about this beforehand. You know, that they weren't enlightened to it. This knowledge, this revelation hadn't hit in the Old Testament. But we do see hints of it in the Old Testament where God gives hints all throughout the Old Testament that the Gentiles are going to be grafted into Christ. He talks about it in Genesis 20, 22, 26, 28. He talks about it in Psalms chapter 72. He goes on to talk about it in Isaiah 11, 49, 50. He talks about it in Amos chapter 9, Joel chapter 2, Hosea chapter 1. All of these areas are giving us little hints and insights. It's almost like a spoiler alert that God mentions these things like, hey, this is going to happen. But it never sank in. That true revelation never sank in to the people. But now we're seeing Paul writing these instructional letters and telling them, hey, I'm just coming off of a, 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 a portion of my letter where I was talking to you about unity. It says that Christ tore down the dividing walls of hostility in chapter 2. So he's referencing going back to this and kind of building on it again. Again, I've told you what I told you. I want to tell you what I want to tell you. Then I want to tell you what I told you again, just so I can make sure that the point is driven home. That's what Paul's doing. So this grafting in of these Gentiles was really a very challenging thing for the early church. And it wasn't just a particular church in the early church that was struggling with this if you read the entirety of the new testament especially the pauline letters that he wrote to the churches you'll find in each and every one of them there's some type of reference to this unity needing to be strengthened but i think that as we look at what this mystery is I like nice, practical, playing out things. And how does this not only affect us practically, but what are the biblical examples of where it shows us that people are processing through these things? So turn with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts is just a couple books before where we're at in Ephesians. Acts chapter 10, I want to read verses 9 through 16. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheep descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up to, at heaven at once. So let me set the scene for you just a little bit. 
Cornelius, who is a Jewish believer, a military commander, who is a follower of God, follower of Jesus Christ, was given the instruction by God to go send messages for Peter and have him come back. Now again, I'm, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Cornelius was a Gentile believer. Peter was a Jewish believer. So, fact check me there on Google if you want to, but I just corrected myself. Daniel White, I know that's what you were doing up there. So Cornelius, a Gentile convert. Peter, Jewish. Okay, so there's a little hostility, a little animosity here. So in preparation for this, you see what God does in our lives, even though we may not understand what he's doing it at the time, there's always a purpose for it. There's always a reason for it. Have you ever had those things happen in your life that as you're going through them, you're like, there's got to be a reason for this, but I have absolutely no clue what it is right now. Anybody ever been there? And then how, how many of you have ever been to this place of, okay, it's happened, I've waited a little while, still have no clue what's going on right now. God always has a reason and a purpose for what he does in your life. Remember, his timetable is never, hardly ever, our timetable. So as I set this stage, Cornelius is sending people after Peter. And again, this could be a very contentious possibility. And the likelihood of Peter wanting to come back to Cornelius is probably not really, really high. So as we move forward in this story, I want to present this thought to you and let everything for the remainder of this message kind of filter through this. In order to dismantle walls and barriers around us, we must first dismantle walls and barriers within us. Before the Holy Spirit can truly tear down barriers around us, through us, He's going to have to tear down barriers in us first. So there's a barrier in the Jews and the Gentiles' mind of working together, of serving together, of seeing each other unified as equals. So as the representatives from Cornelius are coming to Peter, Peter goes up onto the roof to pray, and he gets so hangry, he falls into a trance. It says that God begins to speak through him. Again, this is something that Peter's not going to understand. But there's a purpose behind it. It says that this great sheet was falling down from heaven, was being let down from heaven, and there was all types of creatures on it. God gives the simple command. Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And then Peter, upon hearing the voice of the Lord and seeing this in a trance, does the obvious thing and just immediately obeys, right? No. Peter, being Peter, goes, never. Listen, any time that, let me see, what's the phrasing here? By no means, Lord. If you're saying the words by no means, don't follow it with Lord. It's just a little practical, helpful insight there. Or if you use the word Lord to begin with, don't say by no means. 
Because this happened to Peter three times. Because what God did was he pulled down this curtain, this sheet of all kinds of different animals. He gives Peter this command to rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, never, by no means. I've never, ever done this. Nothing unclean or uncommon has ever touched. I can just almost see Peter getting into that stance. You know, that declaration stance where you hold one hand up, never. He's just got this really self-righteous indignation rising up inside of him. And he's making this braggadocious claim. God, I've never done that. Never eaten anything unclean or uncommon. And God corrects him. Says, don't call what I've made clean or unclean. I made it. And if I determine it to be clean, guess what? It's clean. See, what Peter was fighting here was thousands of years of Jewish tradition. Because he's, he's listen, in a way, in a religious sense, in a law-abiding sense to the book of Deuteronomy and the dietary restrictions and the dietary covenant and the dietary no-nos, Peter is being true. He's being obedient. He's being right. But the one problem is, is Peter's exalting what he's known rather than what he's experiencing in the moment. You see, God never changes. Amen? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Period. But our understanding of God does change. He never changes, but our understanding of Him does. Now remember, in order for barriers to be broken down around you and through you, they must first be broken down in you. And that's what's happening to Peter right now is this barrier of superiority is being broken down in this moment, in this encounter, in this experience with God. At this time, he is taking the things that Peter held most dear to him and most precious and had the most pride in, and God is stripping that away because it's serving as a dividing wall. Let me just submit this to you. This is not a 100% true statement, but it's close. Anything that you take fleshly pride in will most likely result in a barrier in your life. Just think about that. Fleshly pride will most often result in barriers in your life that will have to be broken down at some point and broken through. So finally, after the third time, Peter gets it. You know, the end of it says, and this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once. To heaven. Now, verse 17 says, Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, I'm glad phrases like this exist in Scripture because I feel like being inwardly perplexed is a way of life for me. I feel like that's kind of like I'm waking up and I've got this high level of hopes in this gorgeous cup of coffee that's sitting in front of me, that this inward perplexity is about to dissolve and the fog is going to lift once I hit this, the bottom of this cup of coffee, never happens. Doesn't mean I don't try every morning. 
But Peter was trying to figure out what this was meaning. Peter didn't understand what was going on. Then it says that the representatives from Cornelius arrived, and it began to make sense. And he went, and something began that day. But I want us to look at a different passage of Scripture to show you that not only when God does something with a purpose, not only does it mean, can it mean one thing, but it can, be, it can mean multiple things. It can be put into practice multiple times in your life because it would have been really cool for Peter to go, huh, learn my lesson there. I can now eat anything. And the Christian folks said, Amen. But then let's turn over just a few chapters and let's look at Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. As they're having this, this is part of this is known as the Jerusalem Council. Okay? It's, it's, it's known as basically the first church leadership conference ever on record during the early church. And why are they getting together? Well, one of the main issues that they're having is there's so many Gentiles coming in, we don't know what to do with them. Okay? And understand this dividing wall that Peter had going on, because Peter was a part of this, but Peter was the very one that when they experienced the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, Peter was the one that went outside and delivered the sermon to all of the Gentiles. And explaining to the religious leaders of the Jewish faith, this is what's happening. So Peter was getting it. He had had a first-hand experience with it. You see, sometimes, I'll speak for me because I would never make this claim of you, but it may be true for some of you. My, sometimes I'm a little bit thick-headed. And my wife said, yeah, what? She doesn't understand that. I'm glad you were sitting down, honey. That's a major revelation. Sometimes I'm a little thick-headed and it takes me more than once to get something. Sometimes I don't learn the lesson that I'm supposed to learn the first time. And believe me, I, through, through many years, through many lessons, one of my prayers as I'm walking through something that I don't necessarily want to walk through is like, God, I don't know what the purpose is here. I don't know what the lesson is here. But please let me learn it the first time because I really don't want to repeat this. But Peter had a blueprint for this. He had a grid of understanding for this. He was there on the day of Pentecost. He explained it. But yet he's still having this inward trouble. It's, it's tough fighting against kind of what we're, what's ingrained in us, right? Especially when the things that are ingrained in us are morally good, are right on some levels, are noble, are true, are honest, are pure but then when something else is introduced that maybe god is speaking or doing it's tough for us to let go of what we've held on to for so many for so many years amen am i the only one that struggles with that i had a gentleman tell me one time that typically you will find the biggest opponent of what god is doing now are the ones who found their most significance in what God did yesterday. You see, and that's, I think that's true for all of us. I think that's true for all of us. And now that's not me saying that everything that we've done in the past is bad. Never, listen, we did a lot of hymns this morning. It was absolutely beautiful. Amen? 
Amen? Absolutely beautiful. They're true. They're pure. They're right. But sometimes we have difficulty on this new ask that God is making us. That may be a little bit different from what we've always thought, what we've always believed, what we've always been passionate about. And Peter and the early church is finding themselves in that same position. The Jewish leaders, the Jewish converts to Jesus Christ are still struggling with this issue of the Gentiles. Basically, bottom line, is they had people coming into the church that weren't like them. And they were having difficulty with it. I'm glad that was an early church problem and not a current church problem. If you missed the sarcasm on that, you were asleep. So they're having this difficulty. What do we do with these Gentiles? That's what they're asking. In the, the first church leadership meeting, the Jerusalem council, the main thrust of it is, what do we do with the Gentiles? <laughs> Nobody, there was nothing in seminary that taught me what to do here. So they're having this discussion. Circumcision, uncircumcision, what do they eat? Do they drink? What, what's going on here? What do we do with them? And then I think that Peter almost had like an epiphany moment. Because I think that he remembers back to that lesson that he learned back in Acts chapter 10 when that barrier in his life was torn down. And Peter, in verse 7, says, And after there had been much debate, again, glad that's not a thing now, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their heart by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the necks of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And then the beginning of verse 12, and the assembly fell silent. I love that little dynamic right there. But then, here's what they come to. I'm going to skip some, but you should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and what has been strangled from by blood. They're having this big, intense debate that's going on forever and ever and ever. And then Peter, who once struggled with this divisiveness, once struggled with this barrier, this dividing wall of hostility, as Paul puts it in Ephesians, Peter's the one who has been broken free from this by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit had to break down the barrier in him. Now he is using Peter to break down the barrier around him. Peter's saying, why are we making such a complicated thing about this? This is what God, this has been the message. This is the gospel. That all people are invited to come. All people can come. Every one of them. So let's just, why are we, why are we making all these rules? Let's just give them a few extra, just some simple ones. Abstain from food polluted by idols. Abstain from sexual immorality. From what's been strangled, from by blood. Everything else, you're good, man. You see, here was this issue 
that was so big, so important, was so divisive, that they had to call a leadership council of the early church to figure this thing out. And Peter stands up and he says, this is not a surprise. This is not something that God has just dumped in our laps. This is not something that we weren't prepared for. This is not something that He didn't reveal to us. This is what the good news of the Gospel is. That all mankind can come. Jew, Gentile, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, whatever, doesn't matter. Everyone. And I'm not a big repeat after me kind of guy, but I'm going to in this one. Would everybody say everyone? everyone. Let's say it again. Everyone. everyone is a target of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let's make this very clear. None of us are qualified. We're all a target, but none of us are qualified. That's the mystery. As we turn back to Ephesians chapter 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which, is not, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations that it has been now revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, this still to this day remains a mystery, not because we don't know what it is. Oftentimes we think about the word mystery, and it immediately goes into our thinking of, well, we can't explain it. We can't articulate it. It's a mystery because we don't have the answer for it. And I don't believe that's descriptive at all of this word in this passage. Because Paul gives us the full explanation of what this mystery is. Is that all, all, again, verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There's the answer to that question of what is the mystery. Verse 6. But I believe it's referred to as a mystery here. And I believe that it still remains somewhat of a mystery today. I told you at the very first that there's a lot of bad theology, a lot of bad uh, interpretation, a lot of bad preaching as to what this mystery is. We know the answer, but I believe it's still a mystery in part because we struggle so much with implementing it. We have such difficulty embracing the fact that someone that I think doesn't deserve God is actually eligible to be a partaker in it. To someone who doesn't maybe have the same value system that I have, doesn't have the same morality that I have, doesn't have the same beliefs that I have, doesn't see the world through the same lens and perspective that I see it, to the people who I disagree with to the very core of my being, to the people who are heinous, who are hideous, who do ungodly, unrighteous acts on a daily basis, those who commit crimes, those who commit murder, those who commit rape, those who commit these 
horrible atrocities, we have difficulties with saying that they are eligible for the gospel of Jesus Christ just as much as I am. <laughs> and the assembly fell quiet. Is that true? It's not easy. It's not anything that we even like. It may offend us. And this, let me, if, let me, if, if this truth has offended you this morning, good. Good. We need to be offended by this truth. If it can offend us, we need to be offended. Because none of us are qualified. None of us are qualified. But guess what? We're all eligible. None of us are qualified, no matter how good that we think we are, no matter how moral we think we are, no matter how right we think we are. And how much better we think that our righteousness, our morals, and our values, how much better we think that they are than other people, we're no more qualified than what they are. And they're no more qualified than us. But guess what? We're just as eligible as they are. And they're just as eligible as us. I want to ask the praise team if they would to come back up this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, Paul's writing this to the church at Corinth in response to um, judging rightly. For what have I to do with judging outsiders or the sinners or those who aren't part of God's kingdom? That's what the word outsiders means here. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside that dividing wall of hostility that Jesus talked about or Paul talked about in in chapter 2 that Jesus has torn down folks don't resurrect something that Jesus has put to death don't reconstruct something that Jesus has already torn down if there is dividing walls in your heart, if there is bitterness, unforgiveness, ill will, prejudices in your heart, you've given life to something that Jesus has already put to death. Before the barriers can come down around us and through us, the Holy Spirit first has to tear them down within us. And that's what I want to challenge you all with this week. The mystery is this, is that the person, because we all probably had at least one person pop into our mind when I was talking about like the worst human being ever. And I was naming off that list. You at least had one person pop into your head or one example. Understand that the mystery is that they are as eligible as you to receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ.